0: Welcome again, everybody, to the Disney Film Project Podcast. This is the program where we talk about all the films of the Walt Disney Company, from the classics to the newest stuff in theaters. So all of it comes here on the Disney Film Project Podcast. I am your host, Ryan Kilpatrick, and along with these folks that you are about to be introduced to, we run DisneyFilmProject.com, where we talk about the exact same thing, films of the Walt Disney Company. Quite a coincidence, that. But you know what? We had a website. We had a podcast. We put them together. It's crazy how that works. Uh, We love Disney films, and that's why we do what we do. So joining me, as always, is Mr. Todd Perlmutter, who is uh, a chief technical officer at DisneyDrivenLife.com. He works at OnTheGo and MCO.com, and he's uh, fun and fancy free, I believe, is the the case. Is that correct, Todd?
1: All the time. Right now, I'm dancing the jig, swimming down the planter.
0: Absolutely, because why wouldn't you be?
1: Yeah, well, you know, everybody needs to row a leaf once in a while. And, and that's a thematic in this movie,
0: but we'll talk about that. <laughs> uh, we also have Miss Brianna Alessio, who is also fun and fancy free, and you can find her over at Adventures of Brie at com. How are you this evening, Bree?
2: I am doing fantastic. It was 75 degrees in New York today. I'm so happy.
0: I believe it was close to that in uh, Atlanta, Georgia, as well.
3: Wow! That's I great. do want to say that they may be time traveling, folks. If you're, if you listen to this and you're like, "Wait, it's not that temperature there," they might be time traveling. the snow.
0: Well, how do they know? I mean, they, we don't know. These people could be listening to this three years from now. Yeah. You That's don't know true. what's going on.
2: That's true. We are specialists in time travel, though, so you know.
0: It's true. We do, we do we see we see movies before they're made. I mean, it's crazy the kinds of things that we do. I mean, Todd with the time sled that he worked up, I thought was very very interesting. In our last get together, you know that he showed us how we can kind of navigate and you know get around things. I thought your your thesis on avoiding the butterfly effect was particularly great, Todd. So I appreciated that. No problem. Any time. Uh, and of course, the voice you heard there was Miss Cheryl Perlmutter, who you can find at about.me slash Cheryl P3, or you can follow her on Twitter at Cheryl P3. She is our producer who uh, produces these fine programs and makes uh, the ramblings of Todd, Bree, and I into some semblance of coherence. How are you this evening, Cheryl?
3: I'm doing well.
0: Glad to hear it. Glad to hear it.
3: All right, so we are
0: reaching back into the Disney vault. I believe – is this in the vault now? The the famed Disney vault that we used to see on TV that slammed shut when DVDs were going out of print? No,
3: because it's available on Amazon. But is the DVD still out or do does anybody know?
1: Um it was released when they were doing gold editions, was the last release that I know of.
3: Hold on, give me t- It is currently available at DisneyStore.com for twenty for nineteen ninety-five.
0: <laughs> I would say don't don't go pay nineteen ninety five for it. If you want to watch it, I believe Amazon Instant Video has it for you for a buck ninety nine. I'd say that's the way to go.
2: Well, YouTube shows it for free, so I'm just saying.
0: <laughs> True enough. True enough. Yeah, this is not one that Disney seems to crack the uh, the content whip on. You know what I'm saying? Like they they're not really out there policing YouTube for this one.
3: As many of our friends like to say, the internet, Google, the internet and in Google is your friend.
0: Yes. Oh, so Jesus. if you, if you if you want to watch this, you can find a way to do it uh, for less than buying the twenty dollars DVD. I wonder if I could sell my copy for twenty dollars. That was good. Yeah, that's a whole other question, though. All right, so Fun and Fancy Free, uh, released in 1947 by the Walt Disney Studios, is one of the package films. I think we've talked about this before, but basically around the time of World War II, uh, Disney had trouble developing full-length feature animated films and started combining several different things into what they call package films. So we talked about, you know, uh, Ichabod and Mr. Toad being one of those, the – uh, South American film, Saludos Amigos and Three Caballeros is one of those. Um, you have others like Make My Music and Melody Time. So there's lots of them around this era from about the mid-40s uh, all the way up through the release of Cinderella where Disney just basically released these, these package features, which is basically shorts that couldn't take up a whole feature film, but if they package them together – uh, then they can get the space in a theater to be a feature film and hopefully make a little more money at a cheaper price. So it's uh, all of you people who criticize Disney for trying to make money um, you know, at the expense of quality, I would refer you to this period in Disney studio history. <laughs> Where perhaps they sacrificed in the wrong direction. Uh, yes. I'm just saying it's not unprecedented, um, some of the things that they do today, if you if you, if you look back. The same things happened back in the old days.
1: Yeah, I mean the the important thing to mention is like all – well, not all of them, but most of the items that went into these package films were intended to be longer in a lot of cases. Like really their own standalone pieces, just they couldn't finish them in some cases, especially these two.
0: Yeah, these these two especially, and we talked about that with Ichabod and Mr. Toad, you know, both were intended to be feature films. Um, some of the other ones like Melody Time and uh, Make My Music and then the, the Hispanic, fil- or the South American films rather, uh, Saludos Amigos Three Caballeros, some of those were shorts and some of those were meant to be, you know, longer pieces and that sort of thing. But it's a good mixture. I mean, there's two segments in this one that make up the film uh, that are in no way whatsoever related to each other. And the transitions are very awkward and not very good, I, I would say. You guys yeah. agree with that?
2: Definitely. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the transitions seem a little forced.
0: Yeah, to say the least. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's no there's no thematic other than <laughs> if you want to call the idea of being fun and fancy free a theme, that's pretty much the only theme there is for this.
3: <laughs> yeah. I think the theme is being a fan of Jimmy Cricket.
0: Yes. Yeah, yeah. So it, that's a good point. So it's important to note that uh, that Jimmy Cricket is in this film reprising his role from Pinocchio, Cleo and Figaro. The goldfish and the cat from Pinocchio are also in this. And, of course, uh, one of the segments in this is Mickey and the Beanstalk. So this is bringing back characters into a feature-length film that had previously been in other films or shorts. And it's the first time Disney did had done this. Now, granted, it's only 1947 when this film comes out, uh, so it's not like – we're going back a long, long way in history. But up till this point, Disney had not brought any characters back, uh, with the exception of Donald in the Saludos Amigos films and Goofy. So it was interesting to see Pino- uh, Jiminy Cricket, somebody from a feature, coming back. Um, and you'll notice it's not something they do uh, in their feature animated films today. So it's a little bit of a rarity, I, I would say. Well, also Jose,
1: right, because they all, in. Three Caballeros, right? Because they right. both Saludos and Three Caballeros were before this, right?
0: Yes, they were, and I almost think of those as almost like their own little thing. You know what I mean? Because they were, they, it was meant to be short subjects. Yeah, yeah. Um, They're they're sort of their own little world almost. But uh, right, but but this is only
1: Disney's ninth movie, so their pantheon is not nearly anything compared to what it is
0: today. Correct. Yeah. So
1: that's so. There's not many people to bring back at this point in
0: time. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. It's just not something you're used to. You know what I mean as a Disney fan? Like when you pop this in, uh, you, you know, obviously Mickey is on the cover of the, of the DVDs, but it's just not something you're used to seeing Mickey in a feature-length film.
1: No. You, you know what? This is the first time you saw though. What's that? The uh, characters like Mickey, Donald, Goofy, Jiminy Cricket, etc., all given credit as the characters rather than the people who voiced
0: them. Oh, good point. Good point.
2: This was also sadly the last time that Walt Disney voiced Mickey Mouse.
0: Yes, he ended up uh, passing the torch to James McDonald from this point forward. Yeah, Um, it's interesting because, like, for people like us, we we probably have never heard except on video, obviously. But we, when we grew up, we weren't hearing you know, Walt's voice. So I don't know about you guys, like, but when I hear Walt as Mickey, it sounds, un- it doesn't sound right to me.
2: Yeah. I kind of feel that way too.
3: Yeah. I'm not sure. I've heard, I mean, other than the, I mean, cause he really didn't talk much in this film. So I'll have to go back and figure out ones he talked in to hear the difference.
1: Yeah. They don't have a lot of lines, but I mean, his, to be honest, I mean, he, his voice is not as clear Yes. That's, absolutely okay. true. that's that's kind of one of the things I feel. But um what's interesting is that while the official stance is that he gave up because of his he was too busy and didn't have the time or the energy to do it anymore, um there's a lot of speculation that was because he had damaged his voice from smoking by this point, so that was one of the reasons why he had to give up.
2: Okay.
3: That would make sense.
2: Yeah, it makes sense.
0: Yeah, this is the point in time at which Walt, um, you know, like I said, until they got to um, Cinderella and Sleeping Beauty and those sorts of things, they weren't, you know, really back into the feature animation game. So he had moved some of his things into um, doing some live action films like Rob Roy that we've talked about or uh, Treasure Island or some of those. Uh, So it wasn't until until the mid-50s that Disney really got back into the feature animation game. So this is... It, it features two segments, so first of all, uh, Bongo is the first one, and Begin the Beanstalk the second. Both in, originally intended to be feature-length films. I think – I don't know if you guys would agree with this, but to me, watching this film, a feature-length film of either of those would have been interminable.
1: Well, Bongo wasn't, was supposed to originally use characters from Dumbo and be a prequel to Dumbo.
2: That makes sense, because it reminds me a lot of Dumbo. See, Bongo reminded me, since
3: we've been talking about other movies, like Brother Bear. Especially especially all those scenes with the bears in the woods. Yeah. Totally, since we've been talking about, you know, Brother Bear. I can see that. That's where my mind went.
1: (laughs) Oh. I think Humphrey when I see those bears.
0: I think, why is there not a Bongo attraction in Storybook Circus at Walt Disney World? But that's just me.
1: Actually, you know what would have been awesome is if they just set up a tightrope all the way across Storybook Circus and had just a, a him going back and forth on his unicycle on the tightrope. Yeah. That's what I'm that have be a ride? Just be a thing. Just, just
0: a reference to it would yeah. be good. I mean oh, they have, have Lambert. Yeah. <laughs> they have Lambert the sheepish lion. They have a poster for him, and he was only in the one short. What about bon- – where's the love for Bongo is what I'm saying. But alright, so like we mentioned this film, uh Jiminy Cricket is I don't know if you'd call him necessarily the narrator, but he's sort of our intro character. Uh the film opens with Jiminy Cricket paddling on a leaf through what appears to be the Amazon jungle or something like that. And
2: that it tor- so what was that? That made me so happy that scene. <laughs> I love Jiminy.
0: Well, like it's supposed to be so at this time, if if you guys aren't familiar with film history and Brie, I bet you, you, you are. Like at this time of right like right after World War II, there was all these films that were basically just, you know, they got the hot pop stars of the day or the you know, record big band stars of the day and they would have them sing songs and perform things and it's like there wasn't really a movie there. It was just, you know, the the bands would come and play and every once in a while we'd throw a boy and a girl together and do something and you know, we we'd put it out on film. Uh, and there was a lot of that, like, just basically frivolous, fun movies. Uh, and that's what they're playing off of here. They're ca- they call the movie Fun and Fancy Free. Jiminy's singing a song called I'm a Happy-Go-Lucky Fellow. And so he's playing off of that, and it leads into him, you know, stumbling across a doll, a teddy bear, some records, a record player, you know, all these different things, telling people to relax. But my favorite is when he- – He's doing all that because he opens the paper, and you read, if you read the headlines in that paper, oh like, my they, could be, they I, could be today.
1: I, I wrote the headlines down. No, okay, so I read did.
0: these off. Like, these could be from – these could literally be from today, correct?
1: Yes. Yeah, no, they could. So it's 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 Hollywood Post-Gazette, right, is the name of the paper, okay? Yes. And across, the splash across the top of the front page is Catastrophe Seen as Crisis Looms. Yeah. <laughs> right? Just very generic, right? Yes. But then, but then all over, um, you see Martial Law Proclaimed. Scientist Commission Releases Doom Report. Uh, extinction Threatens World's Millions. Civilization Doomed," Cries Congress Group. Uh, let's see. Next one is uh, Claims World in Dilemma. End of World Near, Astrologers Predict, Human Race Going Crazy, Savant Claims, Community Picnic Postponed. Just that one's in there randomly, but I thought it was funny that all the other ones that, are like that. That's my in. favorite one, actually. <laughs> actually, that's the, that's the
0: saddest one, Ryan.
1: Uh, isn't it, though? Yes. Uh, oceans Will Gobble the Earth, Scientists Forecast.
0: So you tell me one of those headlines that could not be in a paper, like, yesterday
1: um weren't they in today's paper
3: <laughs> they're like you know what they remind me of is like the inquirer or the one the one the one the ones that you can get like the, like the, tablo- the news weekly and stuff like that would have the yeah. crazy
2: yeah, crazy stories yeah but ryan like you were saying um this film is what everyone needed. You know, during the the wartime, they just needed to know that it was okay to breathe and to try to relax because things that are out of your control, you can't do anything about. So you just have to kind of just go with the flow.
0: Yeah. And there was tons of these kinds of films coming out, you know, right after the war. Like again, this is 1947. Um, if you know your history, you know, like the U S was not in great shape right after the war because we basically bankrupted ourselves to, to do the war. And so there was all kinds of things, you know, going on with, with Congress and things. And like those headlines, I guarantee you were ripped from real headlines that were in the papers. So it was really funny to see that, uh, and see that Disney playing off of that. But It also just kind of tells you the more things change, the more things stay the same. No, that's that's true.
1: Um, I was going to say the
0: uh, song that he's singing
1: was a song that was originally written for Pinocchio, which might be part of the reason why they did all the
0: tie-ins to Pinocchio. Yeah, makes sense. It it, it wouldn't surprise me at all if some of the actual animation was from Pinocchio. I don't know that for a fact, but it wouldn't shock me. Seems like it. So what happens is, you know, Jiminy's going around and saying how exactly what Bree just said. You can't worry about things. You can't control, et cetera, et cetera. And he stumbles upon this doll and teddy bear, and he's trying to teach them, you know, what the story is. And he finds this record for the story of Bongo as told and sung by Dinah Shore, who some of you may recognize the name. But you know, let's say a big pop star of the time. <laughs> she that did work? a
2: fabulous job with her narration, of not
0: yeah. So the story of Bongo is one that's uh, what about thirty minutes? Would you guys say of this movie?
2: Yeah, it was it was about thirty minutes.
0: Yeah, and so I, I I would, as someone who watches all the different shorts, I would say this is one that could have been told in about seven and a half minutes. I agree.
1: If it, it felt needlessly long, I agree with that. I yeah. fell asleep
3: during originally. <laughs>
1: Sure. Cheryl did. So um, I I do want to say that that's probably one of my – overall on the movie, that's probably one of my biggest problems with it is neither of these stories
0: are very exciting to me. No, not at all. Not at all. Uh, I mean uh, they're atmospheric instead of plot-driven I would say.
1: Yes, Um, and at least this short is just all about the music more than anything else because really there's not a lot going on besides whatever plays around the music
0: itself in bongo yeah it's very much like a music video almost right because the first segment of it is dinah shore narrating about bongo who is this circus bear who does the all these amazing tricks right like he rides a unicycle on a tightrope he dives off a 300 foot tower onto a wet sponge but you know the minute he gets off stage after everybody loves him he gets you know chained up and shoved into a cage and he can't go anywhere or do anything. So basically the only time he's really free is when he's out performing. And as the circus train is, you know, traveling down the countryside, Bongo gets this, you know, wild idea that he needs to leave because he hallucinates another Bongo outside telling him that he needs to do so uh, and manages to escape the train and, and get out into the wild. And literally like he spends what a good six, seven minutes trying to climb a tree, trying to jump over a root, trying to do anything in the wild. Like, it's just him wandering around, um, trying to figure out what he's doing. Failing all the time, as a matter of fact.
3: <laughs> yeah. Actually, Ryan brought a point that I wanted to mention. Um, you had said that you thought this section was all about the music. I thought this, like, could have been in, like, Fantasia. Mm-hmm.
0: If well, it were shorter, yeah. It
3: was. It was actually created
1: about the same time as the Sorcerer's Apprentice was. I mean, I think they were almost worked on side by side.
0: Wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. And then they put this on the shelf because the original idea um, of this film it was it was a short story uh, by Sinclair Lewis that appeared in Cosmopolitan magazine of all places in
1: 1930.
0: Yeah, and so yeah, Disney bought it before the war and started working on it. And they, you know, they, a couple of animators convinced Walt that this would make a good feature. And you know, then after the war, they basically cut it short. Now, I don't know if there was more to the story. I've not read the actual story. I I find it hard to believe that the story could have been turned into a feature. I mean, like you said, it stretched to thirty minutes.
1: I sort of feel that it, without looking, I mean, it must be more like a poem than a story. Because why else set it to music? Why else have Donna Shore be Donna Shore be the um, narrator?
0: Well, I can see that because, like I said, that's just if you if you look at you know marketing films that yeah i mean marketing and if you look at the films that disney's putting out at this point and the films that every other studio are putting out like disney's not the only people who are doing this you know what i mean like everybody was putting out these you know great you know musical reviews for lack of a better term just because they were cheap they were fun they were easy and that's what they were doing, so I can understand them setting it to music for, to to give the hook of Dinah and, you know, having it be a little more fun and fancy free, for lack of a better term.
1: <laughs> I I have a question. So, do you remember not hearing this with Dinah initially when you I first? Do. Yeah, because because when I was a kid, the one that you always heard was Jiminy Cricket narrating the whole thing. Yes. Right, and that's because that's what always played on television when I was younger. Because this played yeah. a lot on television when I was younger. Both of these did. Yeah,
0: both of them were, you know, wonderful world of Disney segments, and they were on Disney Channel back when Disney Channel showed Disney stuff. Um, yeah, this was, this. These were things that were on a lot.
3: Folks, if you want to change that, you need to tweet at Disney Channel PR.
0: Apparently. They, they, they like they, to make
1: changes they've
3: been they've been tweeting. they they were they did throwback week and so
1: bring back the vault
2: bring back the vault that's
3: what I suggested oh, to them
2: that's right <laughs> Best.
0: hashtag that folks bring back the vault
1: yes, yep.
2: let's
0: get that started and then you can watch Bongo. go okay, so maybe there's a better reason <laughs> to bring back the vault you could just go to youtube too don't forget yeah you could do that too. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I mean like literally the first half or so of the short is Bongo at the Circus and then um, Dinosaur singing while he is trying to figure out his his role in the forest and how um, – like he can't climb a tree. I find it hard to believe that a bear could jump off a 300-foot tower onto a wet sponge, can't jump over a tree root. I did find that wildly strange.
1: Yeah, right, because he could climb up how do he get up the pole to do the to go on the tightrope? I mean, this should have been something that he could have figured out. I, I tend to agree with that.
0: Yeah. But regardless, it's that's the problem. And he ends up you know, he tries to go to sleep and he you know, every animal in the forest, every little bug is making too much noise for him to go to sleep. And then he gets struck by lightning many times chased by lightning basically (laughs) as it starts to rain i mean all the things you think of like that are stereotypical of of being outdoors and you know what would be uncomfortable you know it's all there uh but the the real point of the story is he meets this female bear cub lulabo and like these two demonic Cupid teddy bears basically torture them in the sky through this bizarre... I don't know what you would call it. It was Pink Fluffy Marshmallow Land. And, yeah, they disappear from, from the woods and go into Pink Fluffy Marshmallow Land, and these two evil Cupid teddy bears like basically just throw them around and shoot things at them, in a way that's supposed to tell them that it's, that they're in love. Yes.
2: No. Nope.
1: Love montage.
0: Yeah, that's, what? that's what it is, but that I don't know about it.
1: Their what? heart, their nose makes hearts when they touch. Uh-huh. It's very beautiful. Uh-huh. <laughs> I can't get in seriously <laughs> like that. <laughs> yeah, no. It, it, it is a lot and it's like a third of the short too, folks. That's that's the thing. It's not a quick love montage. No, like it's oh. like 10 minutes of the entire short. Yeah.
0: And and seriously, like they, the the cupids are little teddy bears and my daughter was watching this with me going, "Why are those teddy bears torturing the other bears?" <laughs>
2: It, it, there's, what's one, right? there's one point where there's doves and they form like like a bunch of flowers in the sky, and that's the only part that's remotely interesting during that scene. Yeah. I, I, yeah. It's it, it's
0: very creepy. Yeah, I would agree with that. All right, so. So that happens. Lulabelle and, and Bongo fall in love, and the other bears sort of surround them as the montage ends, and they're all upset because this other bear who we – don't, we don't figure out what the, who his name is, but is, he's called Lumpjaw. This giant bear comes stomping through the woods because he is somebody who is going to you know, basically take Lulabelle, and when he comes up to them, Lulabelle turns around to Bongo and slaps Bongo. Which makes absolutely no sense, right, because they just went through this, as Todd mentioned, overly long love montage. Right. And once but, you share a love montage with someone, that's for life, people. But if you listen to
1: what Dinah Shore is saying at this point, right, because she's kind of like I, – I—I mean, they say sung by, but I don't know. She's kind of like reed singing, right? Yes. But she she says at this point that Bongo doesn't know how to be a bear, that's, and that's kind of sort of where the whole rest of this segment goes. Is Bongo True. learning bear?
0: Yes, because what he doesn't understand he, – he gets his heart broken, runs off. She is trying to slap Bongo for a third time, accidentally spins around, and slaps Lumpjaw… And Bongo, you know, all heartbroken, runs away. And what he doesn't understand, and the bears end up singing it so that he understands it, because what else would bears do?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Is that when bears slap each other, that means that they love each other. Yes. Yeah. I'm just going to let that sink in for a minute. Because it doesn't make any sense.
1: I always thought it meant fighting for territory.
2: It would have been really cool if all of a sudden, like, Dinah Shore just stopped talking. And, you know, paused and then said, what is this and what is happening? (laughs) (laughs) I would love that.
0: Yes.
1: I I do
3: need to go back a little bit and complain about the fake chipmunks here.
1: Oh, yes. Cheryl's big problem with this segment
0: is that they're not Chippendale. I knew this when I was watching it.
3: That is my biggest complaint. <laughs> the characters existed, people. Nineteen point sure three was it? For, was it for, was it for short?
0: It's true. It's a good yeah. point.
3: I wanted to see why they didn't use what they had.
0: <laughs> well, maybe they didn't want to taint Chip and Dale with association with Bongo. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying I'm trying to look on the, on the bright side for you, Cheryl. Thanks. I
1: think Chip and Dale said they weren't going to be in this. That's what it really came down to. Uh, yeah, so,
0: th- their agent might work them out and said, you know, no, no. You know, not unless Dinosaur is going to pop up and say, what's going on here? As Bree said. And they wouldn't do that, so. You could just see yeah. Walt going,
1: ah, the chipmunks won't do it. Get any
0: chipmunks off the lot. whatever chipmunks we got that's what we need we need chipmunks yeah that could be it I don't know but yeah so when Vongo finally figures this out after so what I didn't get the other part is like Vongo's listening to their song he's sitting up on a hill above them while they're singing their song he lets the song go on for quite some time until he gets the idea
1: well just because he can, you know, do things like beat box championship boxers and stuff like that doesn't mean he can, you know, understand the intricacies of bear love.
0: It's true. <laughs> might might be true. Yeah.
1: I think they also said he juggles chainsaws. I wasn't sure in the beginning.
0: I believe they did say that, yes, which is kind of concerning.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yes.
0: Yeah. But anyway, uh, yeah, so he does figure it out, comes down and basically fights Lumpjaw in this fight that goes on. Like, Bongo is just defeating Lumpjaw every which way possible, right? Like, he's he's spinning him on his unicycle, he's kicking him, he's punching him, and all of a sudden, Lumpjaw gets away. Then they go fight over a waterfall, they fall over a cliff, they do all of these sorts of things until Lumpjaw gets swept away over a waterfall. Bongo, you know... Is picked up by his hat and finally comes back and, and slaps Lula Bell, and they end by him finally climbing a tree or the other animals helping him to climb a tree, and the two trees form a heart, and that's the last image of the thing. Yes,
2: and everyone cheers because it's finally over.
0: <laughs> I mean, it's cute, but it's way too long. Yeah, yeah. Like if it had been ten minutes, it probably would have been okay. Yeah,
1: long. yeah, it's like an eight to twelve minutes short is what it should have been. I, it, it, they could have fit it all in. Then there is a lot of stuff drawn out.
0: Yeah, very, 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 very much so.
1: Yeah, but so, I want—I want to add one thing. Um, so you remember back when Michael Eisner took over Disney? Remember that?
0: I, I do remember that.
1: Yeah. Do you remember this speech he gave? I, I, that I do not remember. Yeah. So, um, the speech he gave at the Academy of Arts and Sciences, he was po- he was supposed to be answering the question of what does he plan to do with the Disney company. Yeah. Okay. And um, he said literally, I, I kid you not, he said the future of Disney was bongo.
0: I, I don't even know how to respond to that.
1: Yeah. Uh, he, and he and he literally. You should find this speech. I'll actually have um, a article link about it in the in the show notes. Um, he actually does things. He likens uh, Disney to being Bongo. That's the Disney company. Um, the Disney Burbank studio was the circus, okay? And Hollywood was the forest. And his point was that Disney couldn't just be Disney anymore. It had to go and become Hollywood.
0: See the fact that he had watched Bongo, kind of concerns me.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, to to be fair, there were a lot of things that you know, as and uh, whenever Michael Eisner would bring them up, we always wondered. Um, it's true. But to be fair to him, this, the what he was trying to say is not wrong. Right. No. It, it's true. It's, just, it's just funny that they're first achieving it today. In my opinion.
0: Yeah. No, you're right. Well, and he he did some of that. He did no, no do some of it, but he but, yeah. definitely laid
1: a lot of the groundwork. But it's 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 if you look at like 2015, we'll go we'll go to 2015 as the example, right? That's the year, right? Yep. I think I think that's the year that you could say with without a doubt that they will achieve that
0: goal. Yes, of with Avengers two and Star Wars seven and Pirates five and uh, what else is coming out that year? Is it is Finding Dory in 2015 yet?
3: No.
1: I'm not sure. I, I would have to go over the whole list, but I mean, it's, it's you know, it's just that that's the year. They're like you said, they're releasing so much. They've got they own summer that year already.
0: Yeah, already. Yeah, like all the other studios are are literally already moving films out of 2015. Yeah. So it's, and when you
1: when you have that level of power, you are you are changing the field. So you own the field, and that's that's important because that's really what he's talking about is owning the field.
0: Yep. He absolutely is
1: which is a marketing term, folks. Ryan does marketing.
0: I do.
3: I do. All right, let's continue.
0: So the transition between Bongo and Mickey and the Beanstalk is that Jiminy finds an invitation to a birthday party at for Luana Patton, the, the actress you might know from Song of the South, or um, she was in several Disney films, the other live-action films. Um, so Dear to My Heart, she was in...
3: She was in um, Follow Me boys.
1: Yeah, she's Nora from. Oh, College. that's right. Yeah,
3: you you weren't there for the episode, but I'm friend would friendly like that.
0: Yeah,
1: I, I watched it though. I did see it, it's and and also video. the love the love interest in Johnny Tremaine.
0: Oh, I haven't seen Johnny Tremaine yet. Ah, uh, I will have to go check this out. So yeah, so she's having a birthday party, and it's being thrown by Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy who, if you don't know Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy, well, first of all, you should have seen the Muppet movie. They were in that. <laughs> that was the last thing they were in. Yep. Uh, but Edgar Bergen, the ventriloquist, with his dummies, Charlie McCarthy, and then Mortimer Snurd, who happens to be my favorite. <laughs> I love Mortimer Snurd. But they're throwing the party, and so they're throwing this party, and part of the party is that they are going to tell a story to Luana. and Bergen starts telling her the story of Mickey and the Beanstalk. And so Mortimer has to imagine the animation because this is all done in live action. And like Bergen and McCarthy and Luana Patton and Charlie McCarthy and Mortimer Snurd takes up, what, a good 10 minutes before we get to the story?
3: Oh, definitely.
1: Yeah. So the important thing is for people who don't know, okay, Charlie McCarthy was Edgar Burton's first ventriloquism dummy. Okay. Or rather, as he would say, the human was the dummy. But he was a smart Alec. That was his entire gig. Okay. So when um, Bergen had Mortimer Snurd made, Mortimer Snurd was more the everyman, but not necessarily the brightest bulb in the batch. Yes. Okay. And so for him to imagine anything is a great stretch.
0: That's part of his character. Yes. Yeah. He's supposed to be in the dimwit, the, the country dimwit, which is great. At this time of entertainment, I mean, it was all stereotypes. It was the smart one, the cute one, the you know, those sorts of things. So that's what Bergen did with his, with his ventriloquist dummies, is he created Charlie McCarthy, like you said, the smart aleck, and then Mortimer Sturd, who was the dimwit. Uh, and the two of those played off well against each other. And, of course, Charlie McCarthy uh, picking on Edgar Bergen is always funny. I don't care who you are.
2: It's yeah, it is funny. I'm not, a big, I'm not a big fan of like you know puppets and dummies and stuff, but that was funny. Well,
1: keep this in mind is when Edgar Bergen was first doing his show, if you didn't see him live, you were listening to it on the radio? Yes. And, and Charlie McCarthy was such a believable character for some people that they didn't even realize it wasn't a person. <laughs> so yep. when they actually started to see pictures of him, they were amazed because Charlie doing an act – with Edgar was something to behold because literally it's like two different people now the uh, actress Candice Bergen who's a very famous actress she um, is Edgar Bergen's daughter and she uh, used to actually consider Charlie her brother that's how close that's how real Charlie was to this family wow which amazes me yeah yeah it's
3: crazy
0: but, I mean, you know, it makes sense. He was quote-unquote real. Yeah. You know, her, her father made him real. But, yeah, so he starts tell- – Bergen is telling the story, and then Charlie McCarthy or Mortimer Snurd or Luanna Patton will kind of interrupt the story as, as it's being told. There's not a lot of the voice work of Mickey, Donald, and Goofy in here. Most of it is being told through the narration, uh, which is sort of odd to me. I don't know if that was weird to you guys. Like, you get – you know, Walt as Mickey and Clarence Nash as Donald and Pinto Colvig as Goofy in very tiny doses.
3: Yeah, I don't feel. Like, I didn't feel like you got them at all.
0: Yeah, I mean, they're barely in it. Yeah, there's a it, lot of visuals. It's not though.
3: like I'll I'll compare it to the other one which we saw, which is the Three Musketeers, which we had a lot of their talking, interviewed with a lot of the a lot of the narrating.
0: Yeah, it's a good point. Yeah, it's a g- good comparison. Yeah. I
1: now, this this segment was actually um, it originally its original name was the Legend of Happy Valley, right? Yes. And it, and it was originally supposed to be packaged with the Wind and the Willows, if I read everything correctly.
0: Correct. Okay. Yes. I, correct. And I
1: usually go to you because I'm trying to remember, you know, if I'm getting that right or not. Now. Um, What's interesting here is that the, part of the reason why they wanted to make a Mickey movie at the time, which became like this part of this movie because they couldn't be its own feature film, was that Mickey in popularity at this point in time was actually low for Mickey Mouse. And Walt, because Mickey Mouse was his flagship character, wanted to bring that up. So he needed Mickey in a movie. Okay. To, to give you an idea of how low Mickey Mouse was uh, – Donald, Goofy, Pluto, and Popeye all rated higher than Mickey Mouse at this point in time.
0: Yes, they were pulling in more, more money and more more everything.
1: So, uh, yeah, it's, and it's just interesting. So that's, that's why this movie, this segment, or, which was supposed to be a movie, got created.
0: Yes. So the segment, like we said, tells the story basically of – Jack and the Beanstalk with Mickey, Donald, and Goofy as the folks who get the magic bean. So it opens with a shot of Happy Valley and uh, the giant comes and steals, although we don't know that it's a giant at the time. Spoilers for a movie that's over 70 years old. Or almost 70 years old. Uh, Steals the golden harp. The harp that sings to make people happy. uh, And then, you know, basically the entire valley falls into disrepair, including Mickey and Donald Goofy. Who the, the opening of their scene is basically it's a pretty comedic bit where Mickey is slicing the bread and he's slicing it so thin that it literally like floats down to the plate and then he gets their last bean and slices the bean so that it sits in between so they can make a bean sandwich.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh at which point Donald loses his mind, as <laughs> Donald is wont to do. <laughs> Yes, he, he even
1: tells the narrator to shut up. <laughs> which I enjoyed. <laughs> <laughs> Donald does. That is, that's, a, that's a Donald thing is to, to interact with his narrator anyway. So,
0: Yes. Yeah. And so they have one possession left, which is the cow. If you know the story of Jack and the Beanstalk, you know where this is going. Uh, Mickey, rather than kill the cow, because Donald flips out and wants to kill the cow, Uh, Mickey instead takes the cow and takes it over to sell it and comes back with magic beans. Now, we don't get to see Mickey get tricked, but he literally comes back with beans, and Donald, appropriately so, because he and Goofy have been sitting there dreaming about the food they're going to eat because they're starving. uh, Donald loses it yet again and knocks the beans into the floor. I'm just saying if Mickey had come back with beans to me after the whole bean sandwich incident… I might have lost it, too.
1: There was supposed to be another Pinocchio tie-in at this point where Mickey got tricked by Fowl, Fellow and Gideon, to, uh, and they're the ones that sold him the magic beans, or rather traded with him for the magic beans.
0: Oh, that would make sense.
1: Yeah, So, but they, they cut it out because I, I'm i guessing just for time at that point because it wasn't going to be a full-length feature, so they had to cut stuff out.
0: Gotcha.
3: I wish they would left that in and cut some of the the vine growing out
1: or or the 10 years of climbing up the stairs that we're about to talk about yeah
0: well that whole the whole sequence like like cheryl said the vine growing when the light shines through the moonlight shines through and then the vine starts growing like three four minutes of the vine the beanstalk growing and pushing their house up while mickey and donald and goofy don't wake up which is bizarre yes
1: Uh, now you want to know something interesting is um Again, this is another thing that I saw on TV well, long before I ever saw the what I would say is the full version, which is what, what we're talking about. Because most of you remember, may remember that some of this stuff that we're saying is far too long actually goes by very quickly in the versions you are, may remember because it's all cut out. Because yeah. even Disney acknowledges that, that there's too much in here that doesn't need to be in here to get the point across.
0: Yeah. They needed to acknowledge that.
1: Yeah. And they do. I mean, and there's about 18 million different cuts of Mickey and the Beanstalk.
0: As well there should be. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so there's that, and then there's, like you said, Todd, when they finally get up there, like we don't see them ever wake up. Which is bizarre because we spend so much time going out of our way to make sure that they're still asleep even though they're about to fall to their deaths by this vine. But we don't ever see them wake up where they are. They just – all of a sudden they're there. And then we go through the leaf rowing because that's apparently the thematic of the film where they hop in a leaf and start rowing towards this castle that they see. Uh, And they get dive-bombed by dragonflies because Donald can't keep his mouth shut. (laughs) Yeah, like literally Donald sees them He it, it looks like World War II bombers and Donald starts making a gun sound the dragonflies come after them and they manage to survive and Donald turns around and says something to them again at which point if I'm Goofy and Mickey I throw Donald overboard and we're off to the races
2: <laughs>
0: I think that would only be fair
2: yeah, definitely.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So then, the, this then comes Todd's uh, favorite there—the stair climbing sequence.
1: It, dude, it's like ten minutes of climbing stairs. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's
0: really not, but it feels that way. I am with you.
2: Yeah, it's entirely too <laughs>
0: Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of stair climbing. I wonder how long we 're
1: actually saying these shorts are because like we keep saying everything's like ten minutes, twelve minutes, ninety minutes long, you know people add that up and even though yes. they 're like twenty six minutes short, you know
2: oh, but it feels it.
0: long you know <laughs> yeah. yeah it just it just feels long uh, but they 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 make it into the castle, they see this huge feast of food, which again drags on right like they go in and they it 's the typical thing of the guy of people gorging themselves. Although I do have to say Goofy playing on the jello trying to get his hat cracked me up.
1: Literally one of my favorite things in the whole movie is that scene with him in the jello.
0: Yes, well because I love Goofy personally.
2: Yeah. That's
0: true. But that part was funny. Like it, it needed more stuff like that. You know what I'm saying? Like more more fun if it's gonna be fun and fancy free, like be fun and fancy free, and not have this drama of trying to escape the giant all the time, which is what ends up the, the rest of the movie is basically, you know, the giant sh- comes in and he the giant for whatever reason, right, is able to transform himself and be invisible. He can shrink, he can grow, he can turn himself into a a bunny. Like I don't know why that was. I assume it's part of the original story. I don't
2: know. Um, that freaked me out, by the way. <laughs> All of a sudden, this giant is, like, pink and fluffy with bunny ears and creepy teeth. And that was horrifying. He,
1: he likes pink, apparently, right?
2: I I don't know, but I don't know if I'm going to let my future child watch this film. Before.
0: He
3: likes being a bunny.
0: <laughs> he really, really does. And that's a little
1: concerning.
2: It is,
1: I don't know. Have you ever been a bunny? How do you know you wouldn't like it?
2: I, uh, I don't know. I'm short enough as it is. I can't imagine being that close to the ground and like having to survive. I don't know.
1: <laughs> so I had a question. Did, did yes. anyone else notice that um, the harp, the female part of the harp, looks a lot like Cinderella?
2: Yes, and I was so glad that IMDb confirmed that because it was driving me crazy. I'm like, why does she look so much like Cinderella?
1: Okay, yeah, I didn't realize they did that, but yeah, no, it's, it, it's like, I, it, it's like identical, like you can look at a picture of Cinderella and it's amazing. Just the, just from like the shoulders up, I guess the bottom half of her is a harp.
2: Yeah, she sounds like a princess too. <laughs> <laughs> no.
1: One of my favorite things is when um they're trying to, uh, after they've been captured, and She's singing the, the giant to sleep while Mickey's trying to f- go get the key to rescue Donald and Goofy. Yes. Right? And she starts singing directions as to where the key is on him. I, I, I just
0: dig that. I, I did I, – yeah, I did enjoy that too. Yeah. I did enjoy that part. Yeah. <laughs> but they, they get the key, they get the harp, and they, you know, they start running out the door, and the giant wakes up. But the giant doesn't decide to turn into like a bird – To go chase them, he doesn't turn into like a snake that's closer to them, like something like that. He just stays a giant to where Mickey can, you know, set him up, uh, pull, you know, pull a vine in front of him to trip him and all that kind of stuff. So I don't understand why the giant had to be able to change into other things. I'm really not sure either.
2: Oh, because it was just creepy. So
0: yeah. Uh, but he does, and then, of course, they climb down the beanstalk, chop the beanstalk down, and the giant falls to his doom, much to the dismay of Mortimer Schnerd.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
3: well, it's true.
0: Mortimer was very upset that the giant died.
2: Yes. Yeah, and speaking of which, um, an actor by the name of Billy Gilbert voiced Willie the Giant, and he also voiced Sneezy. From uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. So, yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, thought that was cool.
0: Yeah, uh, but then the, the end of the film, of course, is Bergen and, and explaining to Mortimer that you know all of this was a figment of his imagination. It was just a story. And then Willie the Giant lifts the roof of the house up to look for the mouse.
2: <laughs> That's like the so.
3: coolest part of the film. There was a figment. Hey, it was a figment reference. Yeah. There you go. I'm going with the figment reference. Right there, (laughs) folks.
1: I like how he calls him a teensy-weensy mouse. Of course, he's a giant.
2: Sure.
3: (laughs) Did um, did anyone else notice that at certain points during the movie, um, Edgar Bergen's lip lip, singing lip Mouthing, I don't know what lip syncing, mouthing, I don't know what you call it. Was really off at times and sometimes yes. it was and sometimes it was like you couldn't sometimes you couldn't tell, but sometimes it was right there in front of your face that you could tell this guy was just you know, making the motions.
1: Well
2: S- super obvious.
1: Yeah, I mean, keep in mind that ventriloquists, first of all, their mouths do move. I mean, that's it's a that's a common misconception that ventriloquists
0: don't move their mouths.
3: But it was really obvious, though.
0: Yeah. yeah well, I and guess. remember too what Todd said about he started on radio. So, I mean, he ended up doing stuff on TV, but for the most part, he was a, he was a radio performer.
3: Okay, so, that's true. So yeah. he wasn't meant to be seen, basically, he, is what we're he, saying.
1: He, He's also three of the four voices in that conversation.
3: True. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so you
1: have to keep that in mind. I mean, give, give him some slack there.
0: Sure. Well, and uh, he, has, he has a quick wit to him, too. I mean, so obviously some of this was prescripted, but it, Bergen was known for, you know, just riffing on stuff. Right. So I can imagine some of this stuff was really improvised, too
1: right well also keep keep in mind, like like we were saying is Charlie was a different person, and he was allowed to get away with things Charlie was that Bergen himself was not yes, like the censors would literally let him be like completely nasty and vile, which they'd never let a human do, but because Charlie was a puppet, Charlie could pretty much you know yeah say anything say whatever he wanted, yeah, yeah. So, uh, well, there's that point, like, when he's trying to make the joke about being caught with his pants down and Bergen won't let him do it.
2: Yeah. Yes. <laughs> oh, that was good. And by the way, it took me about halfway through the Happy Valley section <laughs> to realize that Edgar Bergen was wearing an extravagant hat. And I kind of forgot it was for a birthday party. So, <laughs> I'm like, wait, what's the hat? Then I then I realized, oh, yeah. yeah.
1: It looked like he put the wrapping paper on his head, is what it looked like to me.
2: Yeah, it was not (laughs) (laughs) that.
0: Yeah. But yeah that's that's and so that's the movie like there's no there's no like through line or narrative or thing to keep you going through it uh, because it is a package, and even the stories themselves of Bongo and Mickey and the Beanstalk aren't exactly compelling. you know what I mean it's just these are these are cartoons that should have been made as shorts and released to, as such that they ended up making into a feature, and it's not to say that they're just terrible, I don't think, but they're not. They shouldn't be this long, right? Yeah.
1: Well, I think we we've talked about this before with the other package films. Is that I wonder if the point of putting the movies together was to n- not just get them out in front of audiences and make some money, but also with future planning because almost everything in all these package films gets broken out and resold separately, or re released separately, or recut.
0: You know, so. I, I don't. I don't know if it was future planning so much as just desperate to get feature length film space in a, in a theater, right? Because as much as, as much as we like to say these days, you know, Oh, Walt was never about the money. He was all about the creativity. Once he had from 1937, when he had Snow White out in theaters, you know, from that point forward, you can just watch the, the short feature program, uh, at Disney kind of go downhill, right? Like you can just see it happen. If you watch them in order, like I have been, and it was all about the fact that if you do this ninety-minute, or you know, in the case of this one, seventy-three-minute film, you can make ten times the money you make from a short. It's
3: like it, the it's like the modern day equivalent, from what you're saying, Ryan, of what doing Princess and the Frog or doing another in Monsters, Monsters University or or something of the equivalent for that.
0: Yeah. Well, it's, it's, there's a hole in the schedule. Like you hear that a lot. If you talk about films or Hollywood or whatever, because what they're looking at is they look at something like, you know, Avengers. Well, it made X amount of money last year in May. What are we doing this year in May? Well, Iron Man three is this year in May. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's that's the way hollywood has always worked it's you know you had a feature come out in 1937 well what's your feature for 1938 you know those sorts of things um and that's what, what what disney was struggling with at this point is they were putting out features at this point that were not making snow white money you have to remember snow white was one of the most financially successful films of all time if you adjust for inflation like it's one of the top 10 so Disney's putting out feature films that are making fractions of what Snow White made, uh, but they but if they don't put out a feature, they, they don't lost, make anything.
3: They lose the time frame too. Yeah, possibly to somebody else.
0: Yep, that's right. So it's a, it's a whole it's it's a whole cyclical thing, and it's it's just kind of the way the movie business is, which is you know sad, but it's it's sort of the way it is the way the studio system is, I should say. Yeah. All right, so uh, any other comments we have on Fun and Fancy Free before we rate this one?
2: Um, I would just like to say quickly that I thought it was funny um, during the Happy Valley scene also. um, After the harp was kidnapped... And they they show kind of like an aerial view of the castle. And Edgar Bergen says, "Misery, misery, misery." And Charlie McCarthy says, "Just like the eighth grade." It was just such like deadpan yeah. kind of humor, you know. I thought that was really good.
3: I want to say I thought the castle at Happy Valley looked a lot like the the Munchkin scene from Oz.
2: Okay, I thought it looked a lot like Rapunzel's tower. Something about it. I I can,
3: I can I'm only saying from like if you ride the great movie ride, it looks a lot like that one that one tower there. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, okay, yeah, I can see that. Follow la, All
0: Alright, so then uh fun and fancy free. Cheryl, uh what was your rating for this
3: one? Well bef- well before I went to bed last night, falling asleep on the couch. It was a one, but I rewatched it today with a full view and no headache. And I upped it to two.
0: (laughs) All right. Fair enough. What changed your mind? What changed from one to two?
3: I really enjoyed the, I, I, why I didn't enjoy the, the, the bear part as much. Watching the bear part again, because I had f- frozen, I stopped doing certain scenes, made me think of Brother Bear, referencing current movies. And then the birthday party scene, and that whole watching, because I had been dead asleep by the time I hit Mickey and the Beanstalk, yeah. <laughs> apparently. Um, so, watching that, that's from step one, was really good. I, I, I again, I, I liked it. Gotcha. All right.
0: Bree, what'd you say? Um,
2: I didn't dislike it. I mean, you know, it's it's cute. I appreciate that Walt Disney went through this, um, you know, because since they were having financial difficulties at the time. I can see how it was difficult to put something together for two completely separate storylines. Like we were saying, the transitions were a little, you know, tough to see around, but... It had some cute scenes, like the way Bongo, when he saw the love of his life, the future love of his life uh, for the first time. I liked the way he pulled apart the waterfall like a curtain. I thought that was really cute and well done. Um, I'm actually going to give this one two and a half. Um, I, I don't think it's good enough to be a full three, but I will give it two and a half just because... I mean, I wouldn't call it a creative masterpiece, but I think it's it's a sweet film. I, I would watch it again in the future.
0: Fair enough. Todd? Um,
1: well, like I said, my problem is, is that these both these shorts are very drawn out, and as a result, drawing them out makes them more boring than they would be if they were shorter. And uh, so I, I kind of tend to like lose my attention and like, do other things when watching these. Mm-hmm. And I just like—I'm not trying to be mean to them because I—I I like the stories that they're trying to tell in both cases. It's just that they got to be wordy stories. And uh, so for me, it's—I I kind of am in the two range. Also, it's—it's it's good. It's watchable, but it's not my favorite thing on the planet.
0: Yeah. I, I think we're all in agreement. Like, because I would give it a two as well. It's not a bad movie. It's just you know, it's a little long, and it's something that it's something you can enjoy. I'm with you, Todd. Like, my attention tends to drift uh, as I'm watching it. Like this time, watching it, I've seen it many times. Um, I I, I force myself to kind of pay attention to it, and it was then I realized how really long it is. Uh, for 73 minute film, it feels really long. But, yeah, I would give it a two as well because it's just it's, – it's two shorts that should, have, that should have been kept as shorts and then were made into to bigger things and weren't meant to do so. But I understand, like you said, Bri, what why it ended up happening and, and what the story was. But uh, definitely not something that needed to be. <laughs> All right. So that will do it for this week's show, our look at fun and fancy free. So if you have questions about this, uh, please let us know. Tweet us at Project, or you can go over to the website disneyfilmproject.com and leave us a note in the show notes, or you can always find us on Facebook, and you can find us there at Disney Film Project on Facebook. So until next week, folks, we will see you later.
2: You know, you worry too much. In fact, everybody worries too much.
3: Never saw such a dismal pair, a deadpan doll and the droopy bear.
0: You know, you could stand some rehearsal on this story. No, if you're gonna kill the cow, I don't wanna hear the rest of the story.